0: What you're about to hear is a discussion about personal experience with cancer. We're not medical professionals, and at no point are we making recommendations for diagnosis, treatment, nor care. All opinions are highly personal, as each individual experiences mental and physical side effects of cancer and cancer treatments differently. We're only here to listen, discuss, and break the social taboo of cancer. Right, so thank you so much for joining us today. Um, would you Are you okay with me referring to you as Kelly? Yes, yeah, sure, that's fine. Amazing. So we're here with Kelly, and we're all very, very excited to learn some new things.
1: Um, Would you mind introducing yourself as well as what you do? Sure. My name is Kelly Metcalf, and I am a senior scientist at Women's College Research Institute. And I've been here for over 26 years now, really, when breast cancer genes were first discovered is when I started here. And... So I'm a scientist and much of my research focuses on genetic testing in women with breast cancer, genetic testing for the prevention, how we can use that for the prevention of cancers and really how to facilitate access to testing because, because how important I think that is for women with breast cancer.
0: We've been speaking to a number of people with a variety of different cancers for this podcast. And the general conclusion we've drawn in speaking with a few of them about their testing experience is how important genetic testing is. We found it super fascinating how much you can find out from a test. Uh, So today what we want to find out more about is what can genetic testing do? What are its limitations? What are its uses? Uh, And we'll focus on breast cancer because that is your specific field of study. So could you tell us a, a little bit about how genes and genetic mutations play a role in people getting cancer?
1: Um, okay, so these mutations can be passed down from either a mother or a father, just as likely. So a man can inherit these mutations from his mother or his father. He may never get cancer, but he may because there are some male onset cancers that are associated with these genes as well. But then with every pregnancy, there is a 50% chance of passing on that mutation. So it's like flipping a coin with every pregnancy. That if, if, if I have that mutation, every pregnancy that I have, I flip a coin and either that child gets it or does not get it. So it's a 50% chance. So that's why we see so many cancers in, this fam- in these families. Now, that's what we saw initially when we were doing testing, but as we're learning a little bit more and more, and we all know those families, there are very few women in a family, or a person doesn't know her family history because she was adopted, or there are just very few people in a family. We all know those families where there's only one child, and so we may not see those cancers. So sometimes it does come as a surprise, when someone has genetic testing and is identified as having one of these mutations. So we, you know, we have great models. We can try and predict whether or not you will have a mutation, but it's not always right. And and we do have many women who have genetic testing who did not expect, and we did not expect um, her to have one of these genetic mutations. And she does in fact have one. If you, Do if if the genetic tests find that you
0: do have a mutation, is there any way to tell how likely you are to actually develop cancer?
1: That's a good question. And we can give you a general sense of what we think the range might be. And we do know from all of the research that we've done, and we've led a lot of that research here at Women's College looking at why one woman with a mutation develops cancer and why the other woman who has a mutation doesn't develop cancer. And we have to know, though, that the majority of women who do nothing, who have one of these mutations, will develop breast cancer in her lifetime. So it's about, it's up to an 80% lifetime risk of developing breast cancer up to about a 40% chance of developing ovarian cancer. So these risks are very high, especially when we consider the risks in the general population, where we see you know a 12% lifetime risk of breast cancer, about a 1% lifetime risk of ovarian cancer. So it's much higher. They're diagnosed at a younger age. So um, if a woman finds out that she has a mutation, it really depends on whether or not she's had a diagnosis of cancer before or not. So if she does have cancer, breast cancer in particular, we can use that information to personalize her treatment so that she'll have better outcomes. We can increase her chance of survival based on certain decisions she makes related to her treatment. Uh, And if she does not have a diagnosis of breast cancer, she is either enrolled in very intense, high risk screening, breast screening, which usually involves uh, breast MRI on an annual basis, or there are risk reduction strategies that she can use, including preventive surgery so she could have both breasts removed preventatively. Uh, That's an option. We recommend that she has her ovaries out by about the age of 40 because of the high risk of ovarian cancer, which is a very lethal cancer. Or there are certain drugs that she can take to reduce her risk as well of developing breast cancer. So there are options for these women. It's not like we do testing and say, well, this is your risk. Good luck. Um, We do work with these women to try and make the best decisions. And it's a very personalized decision as to what she's going to do. So to make the best decision for her uh, and support her in those decisions to help her make the decisions that are best for her in terms of managing her cancer risk.
2: Um, I'm just curious based on my own experience um, because I was a participant in the Ruby study, which I know you were, you were part of. Um, I, I'm curious because like that study tested, how was it like 20 something genes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, and my test came back negative on all of those extra genes. So I'm just wondering, I guess, like, is there even more genes that aren't being tested that I could, you know, it could still be a genetic thing, or then is it ruled out almost conclusively that it's not genetic?
1: That's a great question. And so in the Ruby study, just for your listeners, this was a study that women with breast cancer uh, diagnosed ages 40 or younger. So often we would see these cancers and we would think of them as being more likely to be genetic than, say, a cancer in the 70s or the 80s. So that's why we were really focused on this group. And we were trying to understand what the genetic contribution was to what we would call young onset breast cancer, because it's, it's pretty rare to be diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 40. So we were trying to understand how genetics was contributing to these cancers. And we tested 20 of, of the most common uh, or the, 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 the genes that we think are most responsible for breast and ovarian cancer. So it was a, what we would call a panel genetic test. So back in, remember, I was talking about BRCA1 and BRCA2 In the late 1990s, we started doing clinical genetic testing for these two genes, and those were the only genes that we were testing for. But as we learned more, and it really shows how basic science can can. But we learn from a basic science experiment. We can translate that into clinical practice. So we knew that these genes were more likely to be causing breast and ovarian cancer, not the same as BRCA1 and BRCA2. None of these genes have as high of a risk of cancer as BRCA1 and two, but they still have an increased risk of breast cancer, and so the genes that we put on that panel were really the ones that what, from what we know from previous science are the genes that are the most likely to be causing or responsible for that breast or ovarian cancer. So in your case, Desiree, does that mean that your cancer was, is not genetic? Never say for 100% certainty, but from what we know today, in terms of the genes that are known, cause a genetic predisposition to breast cancer, those were the genes that we tested for. You're not alone in in having a negative result. The majority of women did. Only about 20% of women that we tested actually did have a genetic mutation in one of these cancer-causing genes.
2: I was very happy to have that um, available to me to be able to even go because I did do genetic testing at the hospital. And I think that's just where they tested like for BRCA. Mm -hmm. Um, But to have that available to me to look even further, I mean, even though my test came back as negative, it was really nice to just
1: kind of be able to explore that. So, yeah. Right. It's one more piece in the puzzle to try and Mm -hmm. understand, especially when you're making decisions about treatment and possible preventive surgeries? Do we need to think about your ovaries too now? And, and so right now there is no evidence because your test was negative that we need to be worried about you being at an increased risk for another type of cancer.
0: Um, so if you have um, a mutation that could lead to cancer, does that mean that... A specific type of mutation can only lead to a specific type of cancer, or would you be at a higher risk of any type of cancer?
1: Well, they're generally associated with particular types of cancer. Mm -hmm. So I I talked about, Desiree, the panel of genes that we looked at. Those are genes that are really specific to breast cancer. Mm -hmm. But if you had a diagnosis of colon cancer, you would be tested for very different genes. So there are genes that are mostly responsible for a certain cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not just one cancer usually, there are different cancers, but in, in general sense, it is, uh, you know, we're, we're really thinking, especially for De- in Desiree's case, we're testing for breast and ovarian cancer genes, they tend to go together.
0: If the likelihood of you getting cancer is so high, if you do have one of these genes, I'm just wondering what the availability of genetic testing is, because it seems like then we should all get genetically tested so that we can all find out now and try and prevent that now from happening. So I know you mentioned that there was uh, families that have had cancer, you know, a number of generations. Is there something in place now that if your family, if you do have family history of cancer, you can go get genetically tested or does this entirely fall on, on each person?
1: Yeah. So across Canada, every province has a set of criteria for who's eligible to have genetic testing as part of our provincial health care. So I go to the the doctor, I give a blood sample, and it would be free for me to have that if I meet these criteria. And these criteria, a lot of it is based on family history of cancers, the ages that those diagnoses. In Desiree's case, she could have been tested just based on her age alone. So we test young onset breast cancers. We test, um, and again, it's different by province, but Ontario, um, we test triple negative breast cancers under a certain age. So there are a lot of different criteria. Do I think the criteria are perfect? No. Are we missing people with genetic mutations that aren't eligible for testing? Absolutely do I think we can do a better job? Yes. Um, And, you know, we're, we're working on that. We're trying to do research to develop the evidence to inform. And the guidelines have changed a lot over time. And it really is because we've done this type of research to determine that we need to increase the eligibility criteria. In Canada, we do have a a uh, research study going on. It's called the Screen Project. For any of your listeners who are interested, and this is um, a, a research project that any Canadian over the age of eighteen can access genetic testing for a small cost. So there is a cost of about two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars to have the genetic test done. But then all of your care is managed by a genetic counselor and to ensure that you receive all of the follow-up care that you need. So, um, you know, that's the best we can do right now to to make access for anybody who's interested. There is a small fee associated with that, though.
0: There are a number of private companies that advertise offering genetic testing. Um, yes. I've always wondered about the accuracy of those tests versus something done at a hospital and whether it's worth it to do the privatized ones as well where it seems like you do a swab and you mail it in.
1: Um, So it depends on the company. There are a lot of companies um, and I think there are a lot of great companies that are doing the same kind of testing that we're doing in the provinces. And so, but they're often faster uh, and again, people can access them that wouldn't be able to access the, the, ty- the testing that's being done in the provinces that are done in the particular cancer genetic centers. So, you know, it's it, but that's where it is a buyer beware kind of thing. And if you don't know which company to go to, it could be an issue. So I would talk to your healthcare provider again. That's something that what we're doing with the Screen Project that we use a lab like that, but we know the lab, we know the results uh, are reputable, and the care is still managed through a healthcare professional in Canada. And so, you know, it, it's it's one thing to have the genetic test result done; it's another to get a test result back that says. You have a gene, you have a mutation and a gene that your family doctor has never heard about because we are learning so much and we're testing for so many different genes. It's complicated. And that's why we have these specialist clinics across the country that deal specifically in the area of cancer genetics. They are specialists. And so, you know, if you're having genetic testing, you want to have access to one of those specialists to manage the care. And again, because of the research, that, that the recommendations for that care is changing drastically over time. And you want someone who knows those the, the changes in the recommendations and that can manage your care. Because often these people that are being tested are young and they still have a lot of years to live. And so we might expect that there would be changes in the recommendations. So it's important to, to have access to those specialists.
0: Yeah, I completely agree because that's always ever since we've started this podcast, I've been thinking about getting genetically tested. And my question was always like, but then what? Like, what if I find something out? Yeah. What do I do with that information? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is involved in getting a, a test done if you were to get it done at a hospital or like not through the private clinics?
1: Uh, okay, so what would happen would be your. Doctor, uh, whoever your healthcare provider is, would send a referral into a cancer genetics clinic, and they are located across the country. Uh, there are not a lot of them, and it depends on what province you live in as to how many uh, cancer genetics clinics there are. Often, the wait times, especially if you it's not urgent that you don't have a cancer diagnosis right now that you need that that genetic test to make a treatment decision. So often there is a wait time and it could be up to years in certain centers. So, um, and it really depends on, on where you are in the country. So you would get a referral and then, uh, you would go to visit a genetic counselor and they would take all of the information on your family history, determine if you're eligible for genetic testing, and then they can either take a blood sample or, uh, for a lot of the work that we're doing now, we actually take a saliva sample because then the person doesn't need to physically come to see us. We can send something to them, they could spit in it and send it back to the lab. So again, trying to minimize the barriers to accessing testing is really important, uh, especially knowing how limited the number of, of genetic centers there are across the country. And for someone who lives 500 kilometers, from the closest clinic, we want to try to make sure that we, she's just as likely to get testing as someone who lives five minutes away from a hospital where they're offering it.
0: Does age matter when it comes to testing? Like if I was younger versus older in getting tested, does that in any way skew the test?
1: So it's what you were born with and it will be what you die with. It's that same genetic footprint that makes you who you are. And uh, that doesn't change over time. Mm
3: -hmm. So those mutations don't change over time. You're born with those mutations?
1: You're born with those mutations. Well, if it's a hereditary cancer. So if it's something you inherited from your mother or your father, that mutation is what you're born with, and it doesn't go away. Do
0: they ever test babies at birth then? For these genetic No.
1: No, not for, not for these genes, certain genes they do, Mm but we don't see these cancers happening to children or to adolescents. Typically we don't see the cancers starting until the twenties. So there's no benefit in testing someone at a young age when we wouldn't do anything for them at the time. They're not going to have breast screening. We're not going to tell them to have preventive surgery you know, so it's it's not something that we think about. We oft, generally don't test until they're 18. And even that might be a little bit too young because, again, we're not going to do anything different at 18 either. Um, generally they wouldn't even start breast screening until the mid-20s, thirty. So
3: when these gene mutations occur, for someone like Desiree who that mutation couldn't be identified in her case, um, are those mutations also subject to the things that we put in our body pollution, like environmental aspects? Like, is that the other way that that could be like when Eva said that, you know, would there be a difference if you took the test when you were younger versus older? Like if those environmental factors played into that, could your test potentially be different then from a time that you
1: know, These are, these are mutations that are in your germ line, so every single cell in your body. That, so that's why we test the blood. So it's not like we have to test the breast tumor to find the mutation. But they are doing that in certain cancers, like ovarian cancer. We're actually testing the tumor in the ovary because we can find mutations that happen just by chance. It's not something you're born with. And those are the kinds of mutations that often cause a cancer too, right? So we're talking about two different types of mutation. But what we're talking about today and what Desiree was tested for was mutation, germline, what we call germline mutations. So these are mutations that are passed down from generation to generation. They're not something that develop over time.
0: Is there any data that speaks to how many people get cancer because it is hereditary versus just environmental or a different type of mutation?
1: In breast cancer, it's about 11 to 12% of all breast cancers are hereditary. So due to these mutations that are passed down from generation to generation. So it's a minority of these cancers. Um, the other cancers are just a chance And again, it could be something environmental, it could be something um, uh, hormonal. There are many different risk factors for developing breast cancer in your lifetime that have nothing to do with the genes that you were born with.
3: That is such an interesting stat to me. I would have thought that it would have been so much higher than 10 to 11.
1: Right. Yeah, 10 to 11% of all breast cancers. Now, in Desiree's case, as a young onset breast cancer, it would be a much higher rate, right? But we're looking at breast cancers over the lifetime. So we're talking about breast cancers that might develop between the ages of 20 and 100. Uh, you know, so the older onset breast cancers are less likely to be hereditary. These cancers are often developing at a younger age, than just a sporadic breast cancer, where we would see the average age in the 60s, whereas with BRCA1 and 2, we're looking at the average age in the 40s. So when we see a woman with a young onset breast cancer, we get a little suspicious. Is there something hereditary going on here? We need to investigate this because there's the benefit not just for the patient with cancer, Once we identify that mutation in someone, so for instance, if Desiree had a test and it came back positive for BRCA1, if we told Desiree that she had a BRCA1 mutation, she has breast cancer, she could use that to inform her treatment, but it's also very beneficial for the family members. So all of Desiree's family members, her blood relatives, could then be tested for that exact same mutation because we know it's hereditary. We know it's in the family. We can now test everyone and find who has this mutation before they even develop cancer. And then we can really follow that woman or that man to lower her risk of cancer ever happening. So there, you know, there's a benefit for the woman with cancer, but there's also the benefit for her relatives as well.
0: I'm very happy to hear that there is medication that people can take as well as a preventative measure. I, didn't, I did not know that. But is there anything being done while a baby is still, you know, being formed to alter any of these genes, knowing what we know about these mutations, like the hereditary ones? Is there anything that you could do while you're pregnant, essentially?
1: some couples elect to um, almost think about it like a fertility treatment where they're undergoing IVF and they will actually look at the embryos to determine what embryo has the mutation and what doesn't, and then only implant those that don't have the mutation. But again, that's very rare as well um, for, for someone to do that. But, but it, that is an option. Um, but remember it's, you know, 50% of the cancers, um, or 50% of the children will inherit this mutation and, and we can do something about it. This isn't, this is not a death sentence to be told that you have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, like some other genetic mutations for other very rare conditions where there may be very high mortality associated with that. With this, there there isn't. There is something that we can do about it. Um, You know, for breast cancer, we can prevent it with surgery, or we can do very vigilant MRI, which has been shown to be effective at picking up these cancers much smaller. Um, So, you know, I think we're making great strides, and because of this genetic testing, we're saving a lot of lives.
3: When it comes to people who are BRCA-positive Does the rate of recurrence increase more? Like is the reason why preventative surgeries are recommended because the rate of recurrence if there's tissue is just more aggressive or higher?
1: You know, Ivory, it's not the recurrence that we're thinking about. It's the new cancers. So these women have a very high risk of developing a new breast cancer in the opposite breast. So we want to prevent that new breast cancer from happening. We want to prevent the ovarian cancer from happening. So that's why it's it's important for women with breast cancer to have this genetic information so that they can make treatment decisions. There's also new drugs that have been shown to be effective in women with a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation, and they're called PARP inhibitors, and the drug, most that you may have heard of is called olaparib, and it's um, it, it, it's it's been shown in clinical trials to reduce the risk of death in women who meet certain criteria and have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. So it's it's offered in addition to chemotherapy, really, and so there may come a day when every br- woman with breast cancer, and I can see it in the very near future, is that every woman with breast cancer will have a genetic test to determine if they have a BRCA1 or 2 mutation because of these new treatments that we're learning about that are only effective in women with a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. So, you know, we're we're, we're making such progress that it's, it's going to have an impact on clinical practice, and we need to think about how we're going to do that. How are we going to make sure that every woman has access to genetic testing and can get those results back in a very short amount of time?
2: Um, that kind of leads to my next question, which maybe you kind of already answered, but I guess just like what is the long-term goals of genetic testing and like this research that's happening right now. um, What is like the, I mean, it's probably always ongoing, so there probably isn't an end goal, but what is kind of like the long-term perspective?
1: I mean, from my perspective, I think my personal goal would be that anybody who wants genetic testing can have it. And, um, but you know, that's probably not realistic in our healthcare system at the time But, you know, um, I think we're making progress. So I've been very focused on evaluating how we can provide genetic testing at the time of diagnosis. So Desiree, you were part of a project called the Ruby Project that it wasn't meant to be a fast turnaround in terms of getting your results back. Right now we're doing a study across Canada, and any woman with breast cancer who's being diagnosed right now can have access to genetic testing. There are some criteria, but again, it's, it's much more relaxed than what we would see in the provinces. And the goal is to increase access to testing. So she calls us, we send her a spit kit, she spits in it, she sends it back, and she has the results in two weeks. And we're trying to increase access. So we're looking at that as a new model. We're evaluating the outcomes, you know, do women like this? Um, Is it having any impact on their psychosocial functioning? Because we don't want to cause more distress at an already very distressing time. We're looking at that. We're looking at satisfaction. We're looking at, you know, indicators of do they use this information to make treatment decisions? And we know in the first phase of the study where we tested a thousand women, but it wasn't this uh, virtual remote model. It was very much traditional. They came in, they saw the genetic counselor. And when we tested those women, uh, we found that almost 80% of women who found out that they had a BRCA1 or 2 mutation elected for a bilateral mastectomy. So they are using genetic information. So it's not like we're just providing a test and they're not doing anything about it. They are actually taking that information and helping to make a very informed decision about what the best treatment is for them based on their genetic test results. So um, it's one step at a time, I think, trying to figure out what works best and how we can increase access. But you know, I'm committed to it. I think we are here at Women's College making sure that women can have access to this type of genetic testing.
0: I know we're specifically speaking about breast cancer, but I'm just wondering if you have any insight into: Are there uh, specific cancers that have been that have had more of this genetic uh, research, so they're more likely to have genetic testing that's very accurate?
1: In terms of accuracy, it would be the same. We're doing the same test, but we're just testing for different genes. So any cancer can get genetically tested. Not every cancer. No, certain mm-hmm. cancers: pancreatic, prostate, colon. Uh, those are probably the m- breast ovary obviously is the probably the biggest. When we think of cancer genetics, that would be the biggest piece of the pie in terms of who's having genetic testing. It would be breast and ovary. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, breast probably being more one of the more common cancers as well. Mm-hmm. Proster, prostate, we do testing for pancreatic. We do testing for colon. And again, it really has to do with are there treatments that we need to know this information for because we can target the treatment based on whether or not you have a mutation? Um, it, are there ways that we can prevent these cancers or detect them early if a person doesn't have a cancer? Uh, because it's really not worth doing a genetic test if there's nothing we can do about it. right? So. Um, there has to be something actionable about those genetic test results to make it worthwhile for the patient and, and for society. Frankly,
0: mm-hmm. that makes sense, especially if we're backed up anyway. <laughs> mm.
3: Just in listing those cancers, it sort of brings up something that I'm personally interested in. Is it seems that you know the breast, the ovaries, the prostate—like hormones are so involved in in all of those bodies functions because i think when we when we as lay people think about cancer we don't think that we all have the same genes it's just the mutations of those genes we just think what's wrong with this part of my body um and and why is it attacking this specific area of my body and do we have any idea of of why it is that these hormone receptive areas are more likely to develop cancer well
1: we think about BRCA one and brca2 in particular, because that's definitely my area of expertise. If we think of those women without a diagnosis of cancer and thinking about who's most likely or what increases your risk, so everybody has a BRCA1 mutation, certain people will never get breast cancer, small proportion, but they will never get breast cancer. Some will get it, some will get it earlier. If we look at certain risk factors, often the risk factors that we find most predictive of risk in these women with BRCA mutations are hormonal. Like how early did you first get your period? When did you go into menopause? So how many years of ovulation? Did you take an oral contraceptive pill where your ovaries kind of stopped working for a little bit um, so there's, there's not so much going on in the ovaries. We know that reduces your risk of ovarian cancer in these women. Uh, breastfeeding. There's so many, but many of the risk factors that we know about right now are hormonally based.
0: I know we're speaking um, specifically to uh, gene mutations that are hereditary, but what are some of the things that happen to mutate our genes in a non-hereditary way, like what are certain either environmental factors or things? Is there some? Is that something you can even speak to um, that we've seen mutate genes?
1: I mean, it's just thinking about it's and it's not really even thinking about what mutates genes it, what it, what makes someone at a higher risk of developing breast cancer, right? So mm-hmm. there must be something happening with those risk factors that are mutating, causing mm-hmm. mutation where the genes start to develop out of control and a cancer develops. Um, So, you know, maintaining a healthy lifestyle. So we talk about diet, we talk about alcohol, we talk about body weight, we talk about, you know, there are so many different risk factors, exposure to radiation. So, you know, and it depends. Smoking could be lung cancer. So we think about all of the environmental risk factors that we know about, Um, uh, the Canadian Cancer Society has just published something on the known risk factors for each cancer. So those are what we would consider increasing your risk of cancer. Does anything increase your risk of cancer like these hereditary or genetic mutations that we've talked about today? No. There's nothing that raises your risk like being born with a genetic predisposition to developing breast cancer. It really is going to trump everything. And, you know, we have women say, I have a BRCA1 mutation. What can I do to reduce my risk? Can I eat better? Can I stop drinking? Uh, You know, and those are all good things to do for a healthy lifestyle and thinking about your overall health. But is it going to have an impact on that 80% risk? Probably not. So we, you know, we need to think about this as like the, the trump card that, this is dictating. And we have a little bit of wiggle room, you know, you could have your babies a little bit earlier, you could breastfeed a little bit longer, but is that going to have a huge difference? No. So that's why there are recommendations out there about how to manage this risk in terms of what are your options to reduce this 80% risk of developing breast cancer down to close to zero. And that's where we want to try and get it. We want to prevent these cancers from ever happening. I think it's so
0: incredible that genetic testing exists to begin with. That's uh-huh. really, really, really Thank fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> um, those are most of the questions on my end. Des or Avery, did you guys have anything? Um, I don't think I have anything unless, Avery, you
3: do. No, I think I'm just going to ruminate now for so long about, about why... Why it affects you the- need to,
1: go back to school, Avery, and get a PhD in some biology.
3: <laughs> Maybe and it's
1: you see your your brain turning.
3: <laughs> well, that's very um, positive uh, encouragement. I, I'll uh, I'll yeah, I'll, I'll think definitely. about that too. Actually, I'll think lots okay. about that. Okay, but no, I think I think that's good for me.
2: um Yeah, I guess just if there's anything else that you want to say or, or any, I'll just
1: kind of leave it open. I don't think so, Desiree. I think we've talked about it. I've probably taken most of the time of the talking. So
3: that's, that's what we were hoping. That's for. what we wanted.
1: Yeah. What we want.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been very, very informative. We really, really appreciate it.
1: Good luck with your podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you so much.